You're listening to Financial Grown Up with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of How to Be a Financial Grown Up. And you know what? Being a grown up is really hard, especially when it comes to money. But it's okay. We're going to get there together. We got this. Welcome, everyone, to a financial grown up guy. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is Craig Curlop. And he is a serial house hacker at a very young age, by the way, and also part of the Bigger Pockets team, where he is both the Fi guy and a frugal tipster. So you know we can learn a lot from Craig. He has a new book out that reveals the insider strategies he used to build wealth through real estate. He calls it house hacking. We'll talk about that term because you can go to extreme measures that usually fall under that moniker, but you can also make money investing in real estate without going to those extremes that Craig was and is willing to go. Listen up. Craig Kirillop, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bobby. Great to be here. I just got done reading your new book, The House Hacking Strategy, How to Use Your Home to Achieve Financial Freedom. I have to tell you, so I know a little bit about real estate. I've been able to trade up from a studio when I was just a year out of college into a family-sized apartment now with a bunch of flipping in between. But there was a lot of information in this book that was completely eye-opening to me. And so I'm so excited that you wrote this book and that we get to share it with our listeners. Awesome. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. I'm so glad you got something from it, even as an experienced real estate investor. So it's great that you always can learn. Well, house hacking is actually a little different from just investing. So before we start with our tips that you brought, let's just go over how is house hacking different from traditional investing, first of all? Basically, what house hacking is, is you can buy a single family residence, a duplex, triplex, or quadplex with a low percentage down. So three to 5% down. And you have to live there for one year while And while you're living there, you're renting out like the other rooms or the other units such that the rent from those other units are completely covering your mortgage. So you're able to live 100% for free. The American's largest expense is housing. So by eliminating that, you're just able to save so much more money and to really expedite your time towards financial independence. Very well explained. Thank you so much. All right. So let's get into the things that no one tells you about house hacking, but you need to know to succeed. And there's basically four sorts of areas that you have to focus on. And we're going to go through each one and then give you the things that are not obvious, but now they will be. These are the insider strategies and secrets from Craig. The first one is, of course, how to get the money to do this. Because I mean, that's the number one thing. People say, I'd love to invite, invest in real estate, but you know I got to pay my bills and I got to invest in my 401k and my stock market and all this other stuff if I've paid off my debt. Where do you even get started? Because who's going to come up with whatever, 10, 20% to put down? Yeah. So that's the great thing about house hacking, right? Is that it's only three to 5% down. So in my area, an average house will go for three hundred to $400,000 and I'm in Denver. And so that's about 20 grand or so that you need, which is definitely not, it's an insignificant amount of money. But if you work hard, you can save that in a year or two. And if you're just hearing about house hacking now for the first time, you probably need some time to do a little bit of research and education as well. So why don't you take that time to educate yourself on real estate, educate yourself on house hacking, educate yourself on financial independence, while also saving a bunch of money so that when you know you do get to the point of having that ten dollars to $20,000 in your pocket, you can then go invest it and eliminate your housing expense. And when you have that money, though, how much of a buffer do you need to put in for things like closing costs, moving in, initial repairs? I mean, there must be like you're almost an emergency fund when you get started. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So... I personally like to have $10,000 over what I need for the down payment. 
And that's just kind of an arbitrary number that makes me feel comfortable, but everyone is totally different. I've got a friend who put $10,000 down on his first property and all he had was $10,000. And he said, I'll just take out a no interest credit card or something, right? But that's his risk level is much higher than mine. And I'm not saying, I'm not advising you do that, but it's just, there are a lot of options out there. But if you wanted to be safe, I'll say that, you know, maybe $10,000 over. So maybe once you have twenty dollars to $30,000, I would say you're probably pretty good to go. And if you find yourself in a lower a neighborhood where, or an area where the housing prices are, are lower, you'll need a lower down payment. So, you know, that number isn't as large. And it's also important that if you are below 20%, you may have to pay PMI insurance. That is correct. Just run that in your numbers. Right. And remember, if you refinance, you, you need to be really careful about getting rid of it. You can't just get rid of it when you cross that 20% mark. You often have to refinance. Let's go to how to find a property to buy, because this gets a lot more interesting now. What are the red flags? You have, especially, you pay attention a lot to neighborhoods and to what else is going on and how you even visit these properties. Yeah. So I really like to kind of find the path of progress, which is literally just basically see where the path of progress has been and then just go a couple of neighborhoods over. And the the houses in those areas are typically pretty cheap, at least relative to the expensive areas. And so you may live a little outside of town and all that kind of stuff, but you're, you know the property is going to appreciate. And the whole idea is I find all my properties in the MLS, right? Because every single one of the properties that I look at for a house hack are going to work because it is going to eliminate my housing expense. And the strategy that I've used to do that is going to be that rent by the room strategy where I typically buy a single family house, live in one room, rent out the others. And you're looking at cash flowing over $1,000 a month, almost on every deal. So that's why I really love that strategy. And also single family houses are super easy to sell. They're very liquid because you know people are always looking for single family homes. What about just cruising a neighborhood that you want to buy in and looking for signs on yards? Is that worth your time? I would say that it's probably not worth your time. Personally, if you're looking for a house hack, you are doing one property per year. And driving for dollars and all that stuff is great right? But there are just so many deals that I see in almost every market on the MLS. You just have to think about different ways to work them. And oftentimes with the whole house hacking strategy, you need to do that three to 5% down payment. That's kind of the whole point. And to get that, you need to live there for one year. To live there for one year, the house needs to be livable. So if you drive by a house and see that it's a dump, you probably can't live there and you're probably not going to be able to get that loan. So you really kind of want like a nicer house, you know, maybe some cosmetic updates and stuff, but it does need to be livable in order to get those loans and actually to complete the house hack. But what's interesting is in the book, you point out that sometimes the nicest houses don't have the best profit margins. That's right. Uh, Sometimes the nicest houses do not have the best profit margins. You have to find the house that has the most rooms and the most bathrooms is kind of what I go for. You know, all of the pretty stuff are really easy to update, right? But it's kind of hard to add a bathroom. You can, but it just costs a little bit more than replacing cabinets or doing whatever. The third category that I want to talk about is the tenants. Who is actually living in your property? How do you manage that? You have a lot of red flags when it comes to finding the best tenants because these are people that are basically your roommates, Craig. They're not just tenants. I mean, we call them tenants, but they're kind of your roomies. They are both. They are, and they're mostly roommates, and they're sometimes your tenants. When problems arise, they they become your tenants, and it's true. You have to basically treat them like you would almost do like an interview, right? I always I always do a full application. I check their how much they get paid. I check their background check, credit check, credit references, job references, previous landlords. I do all of that research. And also I meet them in person and show them the house in person so I can get a good feel for who they are as a person. And you kind of just, I mean, it's tough to say, but I just judge them, right? If they show up with 
holes in their clothes and they smell like cigarettes and alcohol and they're like way older than everybody else, I probably wouldn't accept them, right? And it's not because of like their age or anything. It's just because they smell like cigarettes, they smell like smoke, and those are not protected classes, right? Right. And you're Um, looking for people that are going to be, as I said, also roommates. There's also specific things that I thought was, I would never think would be discriminated, not discriminated, but would be criteria that would make you question whether you want them as a tenant from a landlord perspective, financial things, like if they ask to start the lease two months forward, or if they want to pay on the 15th of the month, or, you know, I mean, everyone that that follows me on my socials knows I love my dog waffles. You don't like pet owners. No, I don't like pet owners. I'm sorry for everybody out there. I love pets. I just don't like the owners. I'm just kidding. Um, With pets, it's pets are not going to do any good for your property. Now you can charge pet rent and that's totally up to you. But a lot of times, you know, the cat's going to scratch the baseboards, the dog is going to scratch or poop somewhere or do whatever. It's just not going to be good for your property. And also, you know, it makes noises. And, And if you're doing the rent by the room strategy, right, the dog could then disturb the other people in the rooms. And then if someone has an allergy to a dog or a cat, they can't come into your house. So now like this dog is just literally taking over and it's just too many things that I don't want to worry about. And it's just much, much more simpler without any pets around. And what about the other things I mentioned, like paying on the 15th of the month? Why? What yeah. does it matter? As long as they pay regularly, why does it matter whether it's the first or the 15th? Because if they need special situations right now, if they're asking for special circumstances, it means they're in some sort of trouble and you're like helping them out. And most people are totally okay with paying on the first like even paying six months in advance, I don't want because like, why, why do you need to do that? Why do you want to do that? You know, it doesn't make any sense. And so it doesn't make any sense for them. There's some ulterior reasoning that I can't see that I'm kind of afraid of. So that's why I just say, nope, you're paying on the first and that's that. And you even have formulas. I mean, you talk about credit scores, you talk about monthly income. This is more details are all in the book, guys. But you do run you know, background checks and you check, um, you know, that they're not a smoker. You also have to be aware of the occupancy limit of your, of the home. And it's important. Like you said, the special circumstances I thought were interesting. Like, like they, you don't want someone that doesn't want to move in right away. That's kind of looking, they don't want to pay right ahead or they don't want to pay the full deposit. I mean, it seems like very harsh, but then again, people have to remember that these are roommates, but these are very much also clients, I guess you would call them. Yeah. You're providing a product. This is a business and you know, it's not a nonprofit. So, you know, you have to treat it like a business and you have to look at the financials and you can do all your donations and your charity work somewhere that is not in your home. Other red flags. I can pay a certain amount of months upfront. Why is that a red flag? Again, it's just, it's just weird. Like why would anyone want to do that? Because it's so weird. I know something is up So then what happens in four months when they're not used to paying rent every month and now they're out of that rhythm and they don't have any money in their account to pay rent. That's just like one example, right? But it's just weird. And I I don't like weird. I just want this consistency. Right. So people have to fit into your standard plan because you really have to have systems for everything to work. And that goes into the fourth thing, which is management issues. You have a lot of tools that you use. What software do you recommend, first of all, when you're running a house hacking business? Yeah. So my number one favorite software is Cozy, cozy Cozy.co. And it allows, you know, it does the background checks, does the credit checks. It has all the applications. You can list your property on there. You can also collect rents through them. And it's totally free, 100% free for you, 100% free for the tenant. 
and you just set the rent on a recurring auto payment. So it just automatically deducts from their account. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to collect checks. You just wake up on the first and you see a bunch of money coming into your account. What about when they ask who the owner is, I guess? This was an interesting part of the book because it seems like such a simple question. People say, are you the owner? But your approach is interesting. People have different ideas on this. I personally don't really advertise the fact that I'm the owner, but if they ask me, I'm going to tell them. And the reason for that is when you're living with someone, it's kind of hard to lie for like a year or more because they're going to just see the mail, right? And they're going to see, oh, a bank. They're just going to see things about the house. They're going to see all of these like house address things to me. And it will just become blatantly obvious that I own the house. And then I lied to them. And now there's a distrust between me and my roommates. And I just don't like that. Most people really don't care if you own the house. And that's that. And they kind of treat it a little bit better. And they're a little bit more respectful, I think, if you tell them that you own the house. And what about actually managing the house, running the house? How does that work? Yeah. So basically, any other living situation, I don't do cleaning schedules or any of that kind of stuff. But I'm just not, I guess, the most structured person. I just say... Basically, we're looking for people that are clean, quiet, and respectful. And those are kind of our three pillars. And if you're all of those things, you'll fit. And people tend to appreciate that. And they just clean up after themselves. And it works. Do you have to act as the handyman? How do you manage them asking you? Let's assume they know you're the owner. Or even if they think you're just the property manager. Constantly coming to you. I mean, what if this is not your job job? You're just house hacking that's covering your housing costs. But you don't want to be tied down. I mean, do you have to factor in the cost of hiring somebody? What's your best practices there? Yeah. So if you're handy, I would say, go ahead and do it. I am like the least handy person ever. So I just have a handyman that anytime something happens, I just give him a call, comes in, fixes it, leaves, I pay him. That's that. And that goes into the whole, in the book, I talk about reserves and that just goes into the the reserves category of maintenance and stuff on the house. And it doesn't happen all the time, maybe a handful of times each year, but most times things go pretty well. All right. Final question about this. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about the book. Do you need to be an LLC to do this? Do you have to make a business sort of a corporation? No, you do not need to be an LLC. That is a complete myth. You can buy a house, rent it out, and you'll just be kind of like a sole proprietor, but you don't need to do any legal paperwork to get this, to get started doing this. Well, what do you have to do? I mean, don't you want some kind of paperwork at all? I personally don't have anything. I don't have like an LLC. Okay. I don't, at least not with my house hacks, because when you're purchasing a house hack, it is your primary residence and the bank won't lend to an LLC for a primary residence. They'll only lend to an individual. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah, okay. Getting, getting into an it, it's senseless to get an LLC. It actually like will not work actually. If you try to house hack with an LLC, I suppose you're not super protected. And at some point when you're moving out of your house hack, you can then transfer it to an LLC but that just gets a little bit tricky because the banks can call what is called a due on sale clause, which basically allows them to call the loan due. Interesting. If you, if you sell it. Yeah. So I haven't found a reason to actually open an LLC, but people just kind of get scared of it. Fascinating. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about the book itself. What did you learn that surprised you most when writing this book? You do it a lot of, one of the things that I really like about this is in addition to the tips that we've been going over, there's a lot of personal anecdotes and specific stories that really, I mean, I guess you call them case studies that really illustrate how these rules apply in the real world. Yeah. What I learned is that everyone has done it differently and everything work. something works for everybody. And it's just really crazy that out of all the different ways people have taken, no one that I talk to, and I talk to a lot of people, has failed. No one who 
did their research. You know, they went through some challenges for sure, but they just really buckled down. And when they went through challenges, you know, they went on bigger pockets or they sucked, they seeked help and they came out on top. And now they're, you know, very much either financially independent already on their way to financial independence or just doing something in life that is really, truly passionate. And it just, it just goes to show how powerful this strategy can be. And it's getting possibly more powerful because interest rates just continue to get lower. So that can be potentially a lot of opportunity if you find the right property and are able to get the financing that works for you. I think it's a really interesting time in real estate. And this is a really cool book, Craig. So I am so happy that you made the time to talk to us more about this. Where can people find out more about you and Bigger Pockets, and obviously pick up the book? Yeah, so you can find more about me. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at the Fi Guy. So T H E F I G U I. Uh, you can find the book at www.biggerpockets.com/slash/househack. And you can also find me on Bigger Pockets, and those are probably the best places to reach out to me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you so much, Bobby. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Great advice from Craig. Make sure to check out his book, The House Hacking Strategy, How to Use Your Home to Achieve Financial Freedom. Big thanks to Craig for teaching us all to be financial grownups. Financial Grown Up with Bobby Rebel is edited and produced by Steve Stewart and is a BRK Media production.